welcome back to part three of the podcast and the final part of the three-part series. Now, I really hope you enjoyed this little series that I've been doing. Like I said beforehand, it was a full episode that I split into three parts because it was an hour and a half. So I really hope you enjoyed this podcast series like I said beforehand with me and Aaron I'll maybe be doing some more collaborations with Aaron in the future I'm not too sure but we'll have to see thank you so much for listening and we'll start off talking about my diagnosis with the autism private thing it wasn't completely private it was like partly private but it only took four months to get a diagnosis so i suppose that's quite quick but i guess it's still you know like you did take in in terms of like when you had that year of the ping pong it was like a year of uh when when you and foreman actually like knowing that you need to get not you went to pursue a diagnosis to actually get an art diagnosis and like since like I, I can't remember like my own diagnosis because I was like, you know, uh, ten and you know, like it's like who remembers so like uh like a couple hours of your uh, day when you attend like in a room getting diagnosed. So what like what was your experience of like being an actual assessment and what type of things was it like you know when you were in the assessment room getting a assessed for autism or was the things like you have to do and they were like like asking you about so I I had to assess I sort of had like two assessments because when you go private it's like well when I went private it was slightly different the way I did it was I had a four-hour session with sort of like not a psychologist but it was like it was like someone that was just one down from the psychologist and they they made all like the notes they asked me about my whole life story my mum was there next to me and they were just talking about my childhood school growing up what I was like and then she relayed the notes and gave them to the psychologist and then about a month later I had a chat with the psychologist and he went through the notes and then he was like yes I can see you have dyspraxia I can not dyspraxia autism sorry I can see you have autism. I'm going to give you the diagnosis. Um, well, like, I guess there was a lot, I guess maybe like when you have an adult diagnosis, I think there was like certain things that may have had to do like, don't worry, it was like, we like reading things and like doing different, like I think there was element of tasks. So I guess when you like an adult going private, there's more of like tell uh, and answering things and like telling you like life story in terms of like what are they like yeah uh telling treats from over your life and so like what was the feeling of after diagnosis and what was like the feeling from like your mother when you finally got to diagnosis I think I was just happy I was like happy but like I've been like self-diagnosing like for an entire year so I already knew I had autism so it wasn't like a big like I don't know it wasn't it wasn't like a big surprise it was like on a random Tuesday afternoon at like eight o'clock at night uh, and so what was like something that like for autism and evidence what was like the experience of like 
self-diagnosed and you know like is it something that like you know when you were self-diagnosed as being autistic is it something that you were like talking about like and disclosing to other people say like whether it be like friends and family members before your diagnosis were you telling people that you were autistic and what was like and what's the experience of having a like having to self-diagnose and people's reaction to that so I at the beginning it started off as I think I'm autistic and then I and then I'd say the reasons why and stuff but as it slowly started going on with close friends and family I would say I'm autistic because and they would and they wouldn't 100% believed it too so they would agree with me like my boyfriend would say you're autistic my family would say you're autistic but with everything else but because I wasn't diagnosed I'm very aware that people have like that opinion so like on like social media and like people that I'm not, not close to I would say I'm pretty sure I am autistic just because I don't I don't want the backlash people go well you're not diagnosed yeah like yeah I don't mean like people like in terms of like how you like if you mentioned it on like like you know on your social media accounts sometimes it can spark a more negative reaction or like some people may uh question things a bit more and that's relevant to the ask about people's reactions but it's like that's some kind of thing that if you know you're autistic like you do like you don't need to have a diagnosis to prove that you are to other people and you should have that so it's like out like from like self-diagnosing what was things that you rented from pursuing a diagnosis as to from self-diagnosing what did you find off like was your purpose and value of like getting a diagnosis could give you that self-diagnosing couldn't I think to give me reassurance also not having a diagnosis held me back in so many ways for example I couldn't get support at university because for some reason they were for some reason my dyspraxia wasn't enough because I didn't have I don't know the documentation wasn't right so I wasn't getting 100% of the support at university so I'm going back to uni so having this autism diagnosis has like allowed me to get like the support that I need I can get financial support at university which I for my disability which I couldn't get beforehand uh, I I think it just helps me just feel like reassurance that I'm because I didn't really need much reassurance because my, I was pretty aware I was pretty aware that I did have dyspraxia and growing up the support I got with dyspraxia catered a lot for autism anyway so I didn't yeah. I know a lot of people like saying, oh, I'm more than the loss of the support I could have had, uh, but I don't think that really applies to me as such. Yeah, because I guess that probably like when you got ignored, you're just like happy that you got it and just like, I guess, focusing on the here and now and also like the near picture of like what that diagnosis uh, can give you. Because like, I think it's that thing that I guess why right, people still value a diagnosis and really pursue a diagnosis beyond self-diagnosing is, as you say, that thing of getting the support in higher education or education in terms of any in school, getting advice, you know, you might not have in that support as you might need. And that 
I'd say that for when you were started here, was in university before that was a barrier to getting the full support that you need. And so, like, in terms of when you were last in university and to when you were going into university soon, what was the support you could get? And what, so, in terms of like the support you got, got when you were just I got just had your dyspraxia diagnosis and now would get with dyspraxia and autism diagnosis. With the GP, when I got diagnosed with dyspraxia, they didn't want to label me properly. So they didn't put it on the system properly that I had dyspraxia. So the school knew that I had dyspraxia. College knew I had dyspraxia just because they were there through the process. But it wasn't marked on the system properly because for some reason they didn't want to label me. Yeah. So it was like hard getting evidence that I had dyspraxia, meaning that I could only, I didn't really get much support. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's when it was like, like I've, abnormalities in the system that either I guess maybe it's something that maybe was internalized ableism within your doctor's practice that you know it's something that you know I never heard of or experienced and I hope that isn't a common thing that people who are dyspraxic uh, you know like me yes they make private logs in with the uh you know, like education and psychiatrists and like the on the like statement in school and in terms of what the school system logs are, but never heard of it like logged in, you know, logged into a like health system with like your doctor. So logging yeah. in that you got diagnosed just because they didn't want to give you a label. As that seems quite problematic. I got extra time in university because I had an assessment for dyslexia, which I had an assessment for dyslexia for some reason, which showed that I was a little bit, showed I had high traits of dyslexia. So I got extra time on the basis of dyslexia, which is weird anyway. (laughs) Yeah, so like, I guess, are you dyslexic then? I haven't got diagnosed with dyslexia, but... I think I think I think I do have dyslexia, but I'm not. I've not got a diagnosis. So possibly then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think, I, like I don't know where they might have like had an assessment of that, but like I don't have dyslexia such, but like visual processing things are sometimes can be like reading difficult. It's like like it's something that big chunks of work in like university, but I did the, like a five only five weeks of it. That the amount of reading I would have to do it didn't seem super daunting. My first year in university, I had limited support other than my dyslexia di- other than my dyslexia thing, which got me the extra time. But because of my autism diagnosis, I'm like going back and I'm doing things properly this time, and I'm getting a disability student allowance, and I'm going to like get all the equipment in place. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to like get like a mentor. I'm going to get a proofread person. So I suppose my autism diagnosis has helped me where even I don't really need to prove my dyspraxia anymore because of the autism diagnosis. At least that's quite helpful because yeah. like I wouldn't know that, you know, you would have as much of support in terms of like, as you say, the proofread and, uh, you know, the stuff that you said with the, in terms of supporting the education with or like an autism diagnosis, like and 
I know, like, I found out there was, like, a delay in terms of getting, like, my full support in university. But with a university without, uh, you know, like, disability support assessment and a full document of what support you would have in place, that must have been quite a difficult thing to do a university in the first time around. So how did you fare when you did university in the first time? I I found it I found it a little bit tricky, but it wasn't it wasn't too bad because most of my most of my course most of my ta- things that I was doing at university was practical because I had a practical course. So we had no exams in my course. It was all either practical coursework or some assignments to do, but very few assignments. So what I did was I got extra time on absolutely everything. So I mainly just got on my parents and my boyfriend to proofread stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably like a practical course would be like a bit more easier because like, I, uh, I think, yeah, it was politics. I decided to try and study and like, like it, it was something that I, only lasted like like properly like only did like five weeks worth of like lectures and stuff like that because like I think sometimes what can be quite challenging then is when you start in university is when you got like the new environment to adapt to and and to new like set of people the social aspects of it then to like you know challenges with Finding out how to, you know, like write assessments, read in volumes I never read in before. And, you know, like you're doing a lot of the work in a different way to when it would have done in sixth form. So it is quite something that is difficult now, you know, to, you know, like this, there was so much, you know, like variations of things that are to adapt to. And it's like, like, I, it wouldn't be now as bad if there was, like, only one change at a time. Well, like, so, as I say that, you know, you did leave university. So, did, so is it that, did you complete the first course you were doing, or did you leave for some sort of reason, if you don't mind oh, me I've asking? Been, I've, I finished, I graduated. Oh, oh you did, you were, uh, <laughs> like, for initial, like, degree, is it? Yeah, I got a two one. Yeah, and how was it like doing active, like out of all the full sport, and also having like multiple changes going on at once? I loved, I loved going to university. I didn't, I didn't mind the change at all, just because I went to two open day. I went to two. I went to the open day twice just so I could get a proper feel of what it was like. I went to the accommodation twice beforehand. I knew I, I knew where I was staying. I did about like three, I did like a three tours around the area. I like I made sure like where I was going and I we had group chats beforehand where we could talk to people in our flat so that we could get to know them. I feel like everything was like slowly like it wasn't like a massive like shock or anything yeah. everything was just like slowly like brought to me in the end where I could process it really well and in the end like I loved it. Anyway do you, do you think that you know being late diagnosed being autistic as to as if you were diagnosed later on in life do you think you're like that's given you a bit more resilience and given you a bit more like skills are like in a way of like 
has media yet to handle certain changes or a lot of changes or trends? Yes and no. Like I still, if for me, like I can cope with the bigger changes better than the smaller changes. But, oh yeah, that's definitely something that I think it probably is total opposite for myself <laughs> because like with when they were trained university, as I said, it didn't last long, five weeks. And like, I say all those big changes were our trends. And I, and I guess how my mind works, like, I'm not too bad if, like, it was only one thing changing our trends. So, like, but, like, it seemed like so many different t- things changing our trends. And then it was, like, my mind got so anxious with that. And so, I guess, it must have been quite something just to manage that without too much anxiety or going into burnout. I think also yeah, I went into burnout just because I I didn't know how to schedule and plan my work. Just because when you're in final year, you have no lessons, and you get you have something called a final year project in my course where you get the brief, you get what you need to do, and then you're just out on your own. Yeah, as you said, like as we were discussing when we were doing the, in, you know, like planning for this podcast, as you say, you did. Uh, TV and radio course, so like a like a media course. As I said, that's a lot more practical. And they assume that since course like that, well, you know, media, t- uh, TV and radio. I guess for your final year project, you was focusing probably more on d- different radio and TV projects. So like a bit like a wider extended piece of like uh, segments that. I guess would make up your like dissertation your project really. Well, and my final year project, my final year project started in February and it ended in June. Huh? So it was like five months, and yeah. it wasn't really the actual work wasn't really that hot. But basically, we had I had to create a radio drama, so I had to research it, script it out, to cast it, edit it record it but I think I just really struggled how long to do on the task so it's something that I thought should take about a couple of days other people were taking like a week to do because they knew it was draining but I didn't initially know it was draining I just wanted to get it done quickly and when I wasn't getting it done quickly I would just try even harder and not take breaks which would lead them to burnout <laughs> yeah as like I guess it's one of those things that maybe like Probably since that, you may be not like ex, like certain sporting, I guess, with time management and knowing how to like organize the time around that. I guess it was that thing of like, I guess, not knowing how to plan, plan things out as way to allow yourself not to be overwhelmed by the task and hand. Like, with, I'll say that with. Doing it like as I said, read your drama, and then you had the thing of like working out the script, and then I guess working out, you know, how to edit, produce it, then to get any cast right. Then that, that is something that you'd think that would keep take a, like a week or two to do. And you said you had a period of burnout. Is it the case that you have having had long extended periods of burnout? It really depended on how long a burnout lasted for, really. Yeah, so sometimes it'd be long, sometimes it'd be short. Like if, like I know I'd like if I was in like mega burnout, 
it like makes me ill, like physically, like ill. Like it causes like laryngitis, like 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 a um like a cough. I feel like I've got a cold. That's how like bad burnout would be. Yeah, I guess it was some. It's like I guess it's something about you. I guess exhaustion on autism burnout can link into your physical health. Yeah, and like. I was saying that, you know, if you get to win your uh, course on video and TV, but you focus more on videos yourself because, you know, like you do a video. So, so as you say, you've got already got a career in mind and you're already doing a video. Mm-hmm. So when we were pl- planning the, this podcast interview, you know, we had a conversation beforehand, as I mentioned earlier, and it's like you were saying... In that inter- interview that we were doing, now you were bursting booming with different ideas of like content you may uh, record for the podcast on your Instagram channel that you do reels off and Instagram posts. And so it's like you got dif- so many different ideas mm-hmm. on ways of how you, your career is going. And I think that, that you know, like there's potential at more times than maybe we could. Uh, to a podcast collaborations and work together again on podcasts. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Is there any other questions you would have? I think I think that was everything I wanted to ask. Ah, uh, so you like, you know, like this is a podcast club recently, people that have doing podcast read it seems like they led me to all the questions and it seems like, you know, I had a good time, you know, chatting to you about some of your stuff and if the, there's any isn't any questions you would have uh, asked myself that you haven't already answered? I just asked you like a few conclusive questions I tend to ask at the, right to the end. So I tend to ask: Is there one thing that you would like to see changed for neurodivergent people and disabled people in their in society, in the world, or wherever? But what is that one thing you would like to see changed? Funny would I version to people? I don't know whether I can I can't speak for disability people like with physical disabilities, but yeah. I think with neurodivergent people, like especially not people, especially with dyspraxia, I think I'd want it like more known, have like more education about it, especially like in schools and stuff. I feel like the education for neurodivergent disabilities, still like even from word of mouth or doing your own education. I've never known it like where that have been taught in school. Maybe it has, and I don't know about it. If people want to know more about certain things, like and certain resources that help you to learn about being autistic and they will and divergent dyspraxic, any like uh accounts on social media that I recommend people like certain YouTube channels that help you or certain Instagram accounts that you think people should follow if they want to learn out learn about more i think there are there are a lot of people on instagram and youtube who have great content if i was naming all the people that like that yeah. i'd recommend i'd be like going on for like hours and hours so like, it's not like but not two particular accounts you would recommend like only like a small few that I think people could follow um you could obviously like follow me yeah the people i follow um Autistic Callum, Thomas Hanley, yeah. Yeah. People like that. And like, yeah, what's your, like, for people if they want to follow you, what's your uh, social media account? 
So my social media account is Life Through Dyspraxia, and that's on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And I see if there's any other time that you want to come on again, you know, lovely have you back on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. So I think that's the end of the podcast. Like I said beforehand, thank you so much for listening to this three-parter series. We'll be back next week, I think, with a bonus episode. It's a bonus episode talking about one of my interviewees from the Cat Radio. They're all disability themes or themes that are relating to needing extra support or just needing extra help in some way or another. So they're all related to this podcast channel. But yeah, so stay tuned next week to listen to that. And I'd love it if you could subscribe to this podcast, subscribe to my Instagram, follow me on YouTube, Facebook. It's all live through dyspraxia on them. And this podcast is Let's Talk disability and i'd love it if you could let me know what your favorite thing about this podcast is and if you want give me a five star i've only got two five stars so far so i'd love it if i could have some more no worries if not but i'd love it so i'll see you next week for another bonus episode see you then bye